welcome to episode 81 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, coming to you live, of course, or practically, practically live, live. almost live, semi-live, yeah. from high above the Mellow Mushroom here in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. I'm hey, your... hey, 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 zombies are really popular these days, and they're practically live as well, <laughs> right? Isn't that like the definition of zombies? I was waiting on it. I was waiting on it. There's that Living Dead series that's really popular, uh-huh. all this zombie action, and they're how many lies. times have you been to see the movie, Aaron? Uh, I think it's a television show. Oh, I okay. All right. But, but I did have a worship pastor like fill me in on how he watches it with his 13-year-old son. But it's okay because all the violence is against people who are not actually alive. Okay. They're just practically live. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So it's the zombie podcast coming to you practically almost live. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm your quasi-host, Nate Larkin, here with uh, uh, the, my co-host, the Commodore, uh, the Admiral. I don't know what rank you are. You keep sliding up and down there on the naval scale. Aaron Porter. It's <laughs> <laughs> a belly button thing all of a sudden. Do not just... go there. And our fearless, peerless engineer, Mondo. Yes. <laughs> Uh, good, to, good to be back. It's been a while, man. Uh, yeah, on the semi-live, semi-regular yeah. Pirate Monk podcast. Yeah. We've got to find a way to get this thing on more of a regular footing. Yeah, and do know, guys, we realize we've been slipping. Yeah. So be aware that we're, we are aware. Yeah. And, <laughs> and if it counts for anything, we feel really bad Yeah, we do. It. Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah. Actually, Lots of shame. Yeah, Lots actually, of some shame, of you guys yeah. wrote letters to us kind of getting in us a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get the letters here. Yeah. But first, uh, Aaron, did you finish uh, that masterpiece, that literary masterpiece upon which you have been laboring low these many years? Uh, yes, the new novel did get its completion completed. <laughs> okay. I got to work on that phrasing right there. Yeah. You see, I spent all my sentences on the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it is. It is. Uh, and it's it a book about being... zombies? <laughs> no, it's not. It is a it is a book about uh, trying to understand. It is a novel that is trying to jump deep into what it means to be fallen creatures in this world and why we need a savior, and to actually feel that at an emotional level instead of talk about it simply at a theological one. Mm. So it takes you on a journey over a span of thirty years and four of the greatest historical cities of ancient times to uh, drag you deeply into the sinfulness of sin to find the great hope of the Savior. Wow. That's cool. Very cool. Wow, that, that sounds like jacket copy to me. Yes, it does. That is good stuff. And the title? Uh, the working title is The Fallen. Okay. All right. But as as you know, these things don't necessarily stick. So yeah, yeah. Okay. there you go. Okay. Who knows? Okay. But it but it is good to move on to other things while uh, it gets shopped around and mm. all of that tedious stuff. Congratulations! Oh, it's good a great enough. feeling when you finish a big work like that, isn't it? Yes. After uh, well, and I I first started thinking about this uh, story 13 years ago. Mm. So and then after over two years of writing on it it is nice to move on to other things yeah cool man Very cool nice. good work hey mondo uh, give us an update on the cambodian project 
Yeah, man, we uh, we are a month into the release of the uh, She Worship Project uh, for the for the Cambodia mm-hmm. home that rescues young girls from human trafficking. We uh, just sent our first check to the home for three thousand dollars. Nice. Um, to all the hard work that all you guys came alongside and contributed to. Uh, we were now starting to see the the reward of all the labor, yeah, yeah. and we're able to send our first check to the home at the top of this month, and uh, we're really excited about that, man. So now, just so you know, guys, three thousand uh, dollars is one hundred twenty thousand real over in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. So it's just three thousand is quite an impact, but we have many more to go. Just in our lobby, we have about another. 2,500 CDs sitting in there, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a, a lot of money. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. now, have we had any listeners? Uh, do they have a way? Because, you know, they've been listening to this whole process, putting yeah. it together. Yeah. So can they send an email, or do you know of any listeners who have written in? Because they've got to be interested in this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of guys have uh, gone to the website and contributed, okay. have donated uh, either to the cause or to uh, supporting the effort, uh, or bought CDs. Yeah. MP3s, all kinds of different things. So okay. some guys have even emailed me. So you can still email me at mrmondo at k5presents.com. It's mrmondo at k5presents.com. Okay. And the web, address, they, the web address for the and album? The, and the web, web address is uh, her100% spelled out, uh, dot com. Her100%.com. Fantastic. And Nate, have you got to listen to it yet? No. Let's take a break right here and listen to a piece of a cut. From the new album, absolutely. Okay, but but we got to start with one of those little girls because I love the little girls reading the verses. Reading the verses in okay. between. I I love that. Awesome, so, awesome. Let's, okay, let's do it. Sounds good. Philippians four, verse Project. It is awesome, and I hope all the listeners uh, grab a copy of it. Uh, Nate, I mean, we're giving updates, and you just got back from your great Chinese adventure, part two. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's been it's been over a week since we got home, and my sleep is back on pretty much a normal schedule. Man, it really messes you up, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah, coming back. Oh man, yeah, going over there is not too bad. Yeah, yeah, just coming back tears you up. Yeah, yeah, but what a great trip! I went with my Silas, uh, Kyle Rigsby. We were, yeah, we got off to a rough start. Uh, I should not be allowed to make my own flight arrangements. Ooh. Because uh, I, uh, yeah, we showed up for our flight 30 minutes after it left. That is incredible. Yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> Just freaking wrong. Uh, but they, so they were able to get us on another flight the following day, which was a little miraculous, through Newark rather than through Chicago. Okay. So we got there a day late, but we made up for it mm-hmm. by coming home a day late because our, our flight home got canceled. There you go. Right. Uh, as we sat in the airport, the plane, the arriving plane that was going to take us, uh, somebody died on the flight. Really? Yeah. Get yeah. out of uh, Oh, yeah. like my. on the flight? Yeah. Get yeah. On the flight. Landed and, you know, somebody wouldn't wake up. So Ooh. we were all day at the airport uh, while the, you know, the coroner came and the cops came. And wow. They, and they kept delaying and delaying the flight. And then they finally Just canceled it. Canceled it. So uh, Kyle and I got a bonus night in Shanghai. Mm. Uh, our, Tim Tan, our Chinese-speaking uh, leader, facilitator, uh, had all, he caught his flight left. He was gone, so we were on our own. Okay, but we had a good time, and it was a great trip in China. Now I just I, I have to say that I feel really good about this story because I thought you were lying when I came out there last time and I accidentally booked my my flight, my return flight for like two months later yeah, without yeah. realizing it. And it, it was, and it wasn't until I rented the car and it automatically went with my flight plan and it was like a $1,600 rental car. <laughs> and when I got the bill, went, wait, wait a minute, what's going on with this car? And yeah. I realized, oh, it's a two-month trip all of a sudden. And you said, oh, I do that all the time. Yeah. And you just actually proved it. I thought you were just being nice. No. Unfortunately, this is a sad theme in my life. <laughs> I'm, I'm a visionary. I'm a big picture guy. Uh, I do not do details well. Yep. I proved that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but speaking of vision, um, to share the principles of Samson over a couple of days with uh, the staff of... Uh, of an underground seminary, we were there during the spring, the, uh, during the uh, uh, spring festival, and uh, the students had all gone home. So okay. uh, we did the weekend with the staff of the school. Okay. And they were uh, so excited to participate. We didn't do a full-blown 48 hours. Uh, instead, we went uh, straight ahead toward the basic principles of. Uh, authentic Christian living, something that they don't hear preached on a lot or a taught a lot. Not a lot of practical coaching in that in China, just as it's a big lack here. Uh, but it, but very, very well received, and it was uh, a, a great time for Kyle and me. Cool. Very nice. And we also met some uh, a lot of Christians while we were there, great artists in China, and got to, to poke around and not just Beijing, got to introduce Kyle to Beijing, to the Forbidden City, and uh, the, the uh, uh, Temple of Heavenly Peace and all that stuff, but also took the bullet train to Shanghai. What a phenomenal place. Mm. Uh, a city 
that's, you know, most of the city that you see right now is less than 20 years old. Wow. A city five times the size of New York. Oof. Massive skyscrapers everywhere, forests of high rises, uh, 10, 20 lane superhighways, wow. uh, elevated with uh, pedestrian walkways suspended underneath them, mm. uh, you know, subways, high speed trains, just people everywhere. Just the engineering sounds yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, um, a hunger for the gospel, an openness to the gospel. And it's the most exciting place right now, I think, uh, in the Christian church. Oh, wow. Grateful to have gone. Glad to be well, back. Well, when, <clears throat> when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll open the mailbag, maybe, maybe read a letter or two from listeners. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Arr. And we're back in the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> opening up the mailbag here. We got a note from Justin Tooley. I think that's how we pronounce it. Yeah, I think so. Greetings from the bottom of Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they named the Tooleys after Justin. Oh, did they? Okay. <laughs> okay. That uh, was, was a little bottom of Texas humor right there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very little. I often have difficulty writing emails because there's always so much I want to ask. However, after two writes and rewrites, I think I have it down. I want to know, as a pirate alone in a new land, where do I begin the process of finding brothers to be real? It's been ten months now since I moved to the Valley. I work as a farmer where most days are spent alone. I find that sometimes the first words I speak the entire day are when I get home and tell my wife and son hello. I don't know anyone other than my wife's family. The church we attend is one where her father's the pastor. I've given him the book and he liked it, but I'm wary to start one with him and the other men at the church. They're all much older than I am and would feel I'd feel at least awkward and out of place. I've come to their weekly 6 a.m. breakfast before, but if I have trouble relating, no offense, to their old man banter. I recently relapsed, despite my best efforts, and have researched uh, uh, 12-step meetings, but have come up empty. I've tried to phone Silas, but without local meetups, I'm getting lazy to call. There are two guys closer to my age, but still six to nine years away, and I've suggested the book to one and was sadly dismissed. It feels like I'm trying to find a prom date back in high school. But those are my thoughts. Thanks for the podcast. They make my day a little less lonely. I laugh my head off at the Waffle House story. My wife hates the place, but I can't get enough of their hash browns, and so I often suggest it as a travel stop. It's only happened once. Back to the farm. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Justin. This, uh, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was excited to get this email. Justin and I have had some good conversations back and forth via via the technology of email between since, Cali- California and Southern Texas. All right. Since the letter arrived, you you followed up and and contacted him directly then. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I think what what interested me was just what. I think there are a lot of guys that are in Justin's situation where 
they might be in areas of the country where they don't feel like they're surrounded by folks in their same life situation, their same age group, uh, or their jobs uh, keep them kind of isolated. And uh, so Justin and I have just been kind of talking through some of uh, some of the practical ways that he can deal with that. And even since writing this letter, he's come up with some some really cool ideas on his own that he's entering into. Um, but even in, in reading this first email, I was thinking about those those older guys that he's in connection with. And there is a generation of older guys that many of them don't know how to have honest conversations that mm-hmm. you know he mentions that old men banter yeah and i know exactly what he's talking about yeah yeah right and some of them don't want to learn a different way but some of them really do yes i mean you you know you've met those older guys that when they're given permission and they learn how they just eat it up yeah yeah I'm, yeah that's true how how many of those first uh, Samson guys, I'm thinking back to your original Franklin yeah, group, yeah, yeah, yeah. were old men banter types? Yeah, in the, in the beginning, they were mostly younger guys. But uh, other, older guys began to move into our orbit. And I'll never forget the guy, you know, the day that, you know, the 82-year-old guy showed up. And, uh, you know, that guy's still going. Yep. Uh, he's been coming for, for many years. Now he's in an assisted living home, but in daily connection with other Samson guys. And he'll say that his life began on the day he walked into his first Samson meeting. And he's, a, he's, yeah. a, he, he, he's a, an integral part of the group. Yes, he is. So Justin and I were just talking about giving those guys a chance. And those guys have a lot of time for younger men. Yeah. And especially if you have an isolated job where you can put in a Bluetooth device and you can be talking on the phone while you're doing your farming or while you're doing some repetitive task, you can actually be on the phone chatting with some guy which is filling his day with purposeful conversation. You know, you can spend an hour chatting with him and you're in community while you're in the middle of your day. You're yeah. not isolated. Yeah. yeah. So it's just... Uh, it's been really encouraging just talking to Justin, realizing that there are options for us, but we have to chase after them sure. and give each other a chance and allow for the growth curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That there's not just people out there that are tailor-made and ready to go. Yeah. We have to allow for people to learn and grow and get good at it. Right, right, right. Well, great thoughts there, Aaron. And I hope that our many isolated Pirate Monk brothers out there We'll uh, take your advice to heart, maybe chime in on the conversation. How can we best use the gifts of modern technology uh, to strengthen and improve community uh, among this whole, uh, within our entire brotherhood? We've got a lot of guys out there feeling alone just because they're not, uh, you know, within easy reach of a large meeting or maybe not even a meeting at all. Well, can I I add this, though? Yeah. you know, I think it's easy to think that guys that are in more rural areas, they, they're the only ones that struggle with the isolation piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as guys being local. Yeah. Uh, there's one guy I took to a meeting about, the, about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is in Nashville mm-hmm. in, a city, in a city. He, yeah. He is a, uh, a music director yeah. at a fairly large church. Yeah, yeah. He's plugged in. Everybody knows him. 
However, he feels just as isolated as Justin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> when I took him to the meeting for the first time in his life, uh, he said he felt like there was, he saw the light mm. uh, of, of fellowship, of community. He felt like he could use technology because he can't use the actual bodies around him because it may damage him. Right, yeah. So he has to use, utilize, you know, the Skype. He has to yeah, utilize yeah. The, the Samson, you know, website and yeah. uh, other things like that. They go into a meeting. Uh, so it's it's not just a geographical thing. Sure. I think it's also circumstantial. Yes. As well. So so and I'm, I'm, I main, I mentioned that mainly to say to the guys who are in isolated uh, areas of the world or rural areas, it's not just you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's not just geographic. It also yeah. has to do with your circumstances. Yeah, yeah, point well made. All right, well, we do have other mail, but we're out of time because uh, we're coming up we're coming up against a hard appointment here with mm-hmm. our uh, guest of the day. Yes, we need to we need to uh, get her on the line. We'll be back in a moment as soon as we've established contact. At the altar, my prayers make them tall. Nevertheless, oh. Nevertheless, I like to eat at my friend Cause's place. Gumbo and red beans are thrust down my face. Still, the main reason why I take so much space, nevertheless, oh, nevertheless. I'd like to help Richard Johnson reveal Blood damaged homes off of Elysian fields I'm not much help, but it helps me to heal I need to heal Ooh. I smoke a cigar to help me to think Gives me a lift when I'm starting to sink I know they're bad for my health And they stink Nevertheless Oh, nevertheless All right, well, it's time now for a Sex and Skinny update, I think. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's talk to our good friend Constance Rhodes, who's got the Hungry for Hope conference coming up. In just a few weeks, out at the beautiful Glen Erie Castle in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Constance, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be with you again, even by phone. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you've got quite a lineup for you know you've been doing the conference for how you've been doing Hungry for Hope for how many years now? Yeah, Hungry for Hope is um, it's a Christian eating disorders conference, and this is our fifth year. So we've covered a lot of different topics over the, the years, and this year the focus, of course, because we have you, um, is sex and skinny. So we're getting into sort of that convergence of sexual issues, food issues, how those all tie together. Um, and, you know, it's actually gotten a lot more interesting than I even had suspected. The farther I get into it, uh, the more I see how all those things are interrelated. So it's going to be pretty interesting. Now, Constance, I was introduced to a phrase this morning, sexual anorexics. For, this yeah. is a couple's phrase. This is nothing I had heard before. Did Nate make this up? No. No. In fact, we'll be addressing that as well. So sexual anorexia, if anorexia is a lack of appetite, that's what anorexia means. 
loss of appetite. Sexual anorexia is a, a loss of appetite. Um, and, and what they found is that that is one of the number one issues that's coming up in marriages is sort of this sexual anorexia, this aversion to having sex or just no desire for having sex. I think it's happening in a, a great portion of marriages. I can even speak from experience that I've seen that in my own marriage. Um, there can be a lot of factors. It can be as simple as we're too tired and there's too much going on. Um, normally there's some underlying stuff there though that really feeds into that. And those of course are the kinds of things that we wanna talk about because as you guys know from the work you do, um, you know, if the woman in particular is not interested in having sex, then it just creates a, a big problem there um, when we want our men to, you know, desire us, but we don't really want to have sex with them, but we really want everything to work out. And, of course, it happens on the guy's side, too. So yeah. true, true issue, not talked about very much. Well, God bless you, Constance, uh, for courageously just uh, taking on yet another topic that doesn't get enough attention. That no one wants to talk about. I know. I don't know why I'm always, you know, I wanted to be a Christian singer, okay? I wanted to be a Christian singer. How I ended up talking about sex and eating disorders, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sure we can put this all to song. We can throw some lyrics together. <laughs> You know, what I wanted your audience to know, Nate, because I, I know you have listeners out there. I know you have women who are listening. Mm -hmm. Of course, I know you have guys who are listening. And what I want them to know is this conference is the only one I know of that is going to be so gentle and intentional about exploring this connection. And so if you've got those listeners out there, they're struggling in their marriage there's food issues going on, which we know three out of four women have some kind of food issue. We know guys have food issues. Um, and they're, they're stuck in this area, this conference, getting out to Colorado Springs, being on the Glen Erie property at the castle. You're surrounded by nature. Everything is organized in such a way to really um, refresh and renew and equip them to really make some strides in this area, go home stronger than they come and be able to move forward. I mean, we're going to get into some really interesting things. In fact, we have a little experiential called the Yada Sex Workshop. <laughs> Again, nothing I thought I would be doing even two nice. years ago or three years ago before meeting you. Um, but, you know, really practical things to do, but done so carefully because this is a touchy subject and people feel really weird talking about it. And, um, and we're, we do it in such a careful and, and non-boring way. You know, you know, Nate, from what you and I do together, like yeah. you really get to this stuff a real, in a real casual, honest, sometimes funny um, way so that it doesn't stay under the surface. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this conference. you got some great uh, people staffing the conference. Tell us who all is on the bill. Well, we've got lots of people on the bill. I'll tell you some of the main ones. Marnie Faree, she is... The mm -hmm. author of a book called No Stones, and you know her, right? You She's been a guest on the podcast, on sure. Yeah, so she is going to be there. She's doing two different sessions. One of them, she'll be sharing her own story of struggling with sexual addiction and coming out of that. Um, we have Bill and Janine Fuller. I don't know if you know those guys. I know that I just sent you a note about them, but they have an amazing 
uh, ministry of working specifically with those who have um, sexual issues. And one of the things that we talked about as I was kind of, you know, just getting to know them was this concept of duty sex, you know, where you're doing sex because it's your duty because you have to because you're married and that's the job of the husband and wife and what an awful concept that is and and how to sort of untangle that and um, and come at it from a much more uh, redeeming perspective. So I'm really excited about them. Uh, so you're pro- you're you're promoting duty free sex, not just in the airport <laughs> anymore. That's really yeah, exciting. We're for a new workshop, mate. Duty free sex. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, and you know, it's going to be interesting to get into these things because we really don't talk about this in the church, right? Especially, yeah. Which is why all my presenters are kind of excited to get to do this and and hit this stuff honestly. But we're also talking with Dr. Jantz. Um, he's in, he's written, I don't know, he's published 500,000 copies of his books are out there, and he's going to talk about anger, food, and sex, mm. and how all of those go together. Um, and then we've got amazing worship and uh, recording artists coming out there as well, including your friend, right, Matthew Ward. Matthew Ward, He'll yeah. be there on Sunday morning. And we have a wonderful um, Jasmine Tate, this 21-year-old amazing African-American basketball phenomenal girl who's this just, amazing recording artist and so that's a huge emphasis too that your listeners need to know that there's arts and um, worship is a huge part of what we do there so there's just a lot you can find out all of the speakers and you can look at the schedule at the official website for the event and that is www.hfhconference.com hfh for hungry for hope hfhconference.com but you do need to sign up soon because it's only six weeks away um, you can stay right there on the property, but you need to do it quickly. Well, we're looking forward to it. Allie, of course, will be coming out with me. And, uh, we're... Oh, yeah, you're one of my speakers. Yeah, you're on the lineup. I, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope you do a good job. That's assumed that I'm on the lineup. Come on, if I'm there. <laughs> yeah, we'll be doing our sex and skinny thing, right? We'll be doing our sex and skinny thing that we do out on the road. So oh, I'm yeah. excited to be able yeah. to do that there. And Stephen James is going to be there as well, isn't he? You know, Stephen James, we had a little bit of a schedule change, but he's not coming this year. We are looking at maybe having him come next year. Okay. All right. Well, Constance, uh, thanks for the update. And uh, if I don't see you before then, um, I'll see you. Uh, What's the starting date of the conference? Uh, June 21st. It's a Thursday night through a Sunday morning. All right. June 21st in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado. All right. Thanks. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you in a while. Thanks, Constance. All right. Thanks, Nate. Bye-bye. Bye. And we'll be right back on the Pirate Punk Podcast. Hurt, hurt by the pavement, starting over. Picking up pieces on our road. And birds burned by the system we are under giving up is all we've ever known hope is the word left undefined when dreams get pushed aside we are all wounded soldiers 
trying to get back on our feet Don't even know the war is over Still searching for relief When are we gonna open our eyes And see we've been received Wounded soldiers Wounded soldiers All right, and we're back. Uh, tell you what, Aaron, I think this is a grand idea. We're going to reach back into the into the archives, into the best of drawer, uh, for something that you did uh, even before we got the Pirate Monk podcast going. You asked me to come out to California. I went out there to San Luis for a, an amazing summer project that you were doing called the Timothy Project. Uh, I came and worked with some college kids for a couple days. Uh, uh, that was the the year that we met uh, Daniel Rassam, who, by the way, uh, his release date June 30. We're pretty stoked for that. He's going to be up, out, and uh, free to go. But that's a whole that's a whole different topic. Uh, Pete was there. Pete Gall was there. Uh, but the real star of the week, and somehow our uh, schedules never meshed because I didn't I didn't get to meet him that time. Was Tony Campolo? Came and worked with you on the Timothy Project. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, what what a fascinating guy Tony is. And you uh, you interviewed him before he spoke and recorded that interview. Why don't we share that with our listeners now? All right, let's do it. A little talk on social justice and what it means for the church. social justice, and that's definitely a word that uh, is put out a lot these days. I feel like there could be some different definitions in people's minds of what that is. So what would you give as a working definition for the average Christian of what social justice for the evangelical Christian really means? Simply speaking, it's love translated into social policy. Okay, so we're talking social policy, including uh, government laws that are passed, uh, how the local church is responding to the need? And structural issues. I mean, it's not just government. Uh, What about what uh, corporations do to people? Uh, What about uh, the poverty that's generated in third world countries by American companies establishing themselves overseas and paying slave labor wages to, to workers? Is this what Jesus would have us do? I mean, the WWJD thing really does work, and uh, those questions have to be raised. Uh, so uh, the real question is not—I mean, it's not just a matter of government. You see, that gets everybody divided between Democrats and Republicans over the role of government. Uh, government is part of it, indeed, but we also have to look at uh, what the corporate structures are doing. Uh, what is happening with, do they understand the difference between free trade and fair trade? And why there's a big argument over this? And what's happening to, uh, to, to poor people in third world countries because of American trade policies? Uh, and can we be indifferent to that? Namely, it boils down to one simple question. It's this. We're very good, and there's no argument over picking up the casualties of the system. The people who are poor and beaten down uh, need to be fed, they need to be clothed, they need to have hospitals, 
and all Christians can agree on those things. But there are some Christians who say that's as far as we want to go. There are others who say, wait a minute, it's not enough to pick up the victims of oppression. We must, in fact, change the system so that the system doesn't create so many victims. So uh, when we start talking about social justice, we have to ask, what is the Bible talking about when it calls us to wrestle with principalities and powers? And when in the book of Ephesians we are called to bring all principalities and powers into subjection to Christ through the church, what, what does that mean for us? Now, when you talk about uh, corporations and things like that, I have a feeling that most just average Christians sitting in a pew would think they have very little power to enact any kind of change there. What's well, something practical? And we've got to talk about what they can do. Okay. What? What's yeah, just? But I mean, there's no question right now. I mean, you take the most extreme right-wing Republican in your church, and say, do you think the oil companies may be doing something that's hurting all of us, and is creating great poverty among many people? I think he's going to say, yeah. Is there anything we can do about it? And the answer to that is, yeah. Do you have any? Uh, obviously, it's a huge question, but is there anything that would give a glimpse into what well, someone could do? You know, I think there, there's there's certain uh, government controls that should be exercised on industries. Um, they were initially uh, established by the Republican Party in the early part of the 20, 20th century with uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, who felt that antitrust laws ought to be enacted. Uh, we're supposed to have open government, and yet we know that there have been secret meetings that have been carried on with government officials and the oil company executives, and and contrary to the law. Uh, these records and these reports have not been made available to people. It's about time that we stand up and say we demand that they be made available. What is going on here? Uh, are there some kind of secret arrangements that we don't know about? If there aren't, then why are you so anxious to keep all of these records secret? I think we need to begin to ask questions. What was the process in your life by which God brought you to the place where you became passionate as an activist uh, for these things in the evangelical church? I don't know that I ever uh, lack that concern. Um, when you grow up poor, uh, you look at the world very differently. And I'm from an immigrant family, and you don't look at the world the same way in which people who grow up in a more comfortable situation look at the situation and the world in which we live. Uh, I always had this sense that my father had been uh, exploited as a worker. He worked very, very hard had almost nothing to show for it. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he had almost no hospital covers it, coverage so that when uh, he got Hodgkin's disease, uh, it really uh, totally liquidated uh, the resources of our family. You look at the world a little differently when you go through those kinds of things. And you're saying to yourself, why is there something unjust when a man can work for a company as big as RCA Victor for 40 years and end up in this condition. And then, of course, there's the ultimate consciousness-raising thing. It's reading the Bible. There are 2,000 verses of Scripture that call upon us to respond to the needs of the poor. And uh, the those who are in positions of power are called upon to remember that there will be a day of judgment if they have not, in fact, uh, given the workers what they should. Book of James is clear on that one. 
Now, in your your newer newest book, The God of Intimacy yep. and Action. Um, uh, yeah, I, there's a newer book called Red Letter Christians. Okay. Which really deals with all the issues of uh, justice that we're talking about right now. Okay. Well, I noticed it was it was really interesting to me that in The God of Intimacy and Action, you talk a lot about mysticism. Yeah. And its connection to these social sure. justice issues. Because uh, I don't know where your church is, but. Uh, I put that book together with Mary Darling, who is a professor at Spring Arbor University, a free Methodist university, and she is steeped in Wesleyan spirituality. And when I talk to your people, I will in fact talk about the fact that all social change for Christians begins in the context of prayer, and uh, what prayer does to us, and how prayer sensitizes us to the needs of the poor. So how did that get so lost in our evangelical paradigm, and why is it important that we reclaim it? Well, to reclaim it is, is simple. Uh, I, you're not doing the whole gospel if you don't reclaim it, uh, number one. Number two is I think that the Wesleyan tradition has been overwhelmed by the Calvinist tradition. And what we really need is a balance between the two. Uh, Calvinism was really concerned about the, uh, the uh, theological truth. And it did so much good in helping us to be aware the theological truth must be given uh, careful attention. If we are not doctrinally sound, we're in trouble. And uh, the Calvinists, uh, really, with their very systematic theology, uh, made uh, Christianity into a quote-unquote thinking man's religion uh, or a thinking woman's religion. Wesley, on the other hand, said, there's more to it than thinking. There's feeling. And uh, I think if we keep that balance between thinking and feeling, we'll be in good shape. Namely, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. One has to feel the presence of Christ in, it, in one's life. Must be aware that there's an indwelling reality there that is giving inspiration and power. And this is, this is obviously not a new thing that you're saying. I mean, I remember back in the, uh, no. I guess, mid-80s, uh, with It's Friday But Sunday's Coming, sure. talked about the need for the miraculous. And, sure. And so it's it's interesting to me that the word itself, mysticism, scares a lot of people. Yeah, and, and, and we wanted to reclaim that. Uh, the if you go to the to the uh, to a dictionary, I mean, the word mystical means that there is something that cannot be reduced to intellectual scientific categories. That there is a reality that can be uh, experienced only in the context of of uh, thoughtful prayer and meditation. And I'm not saying anything that Jesus didn't say. Jesus said there to his disciples, these things come through prayer and fasting. Uh, prayer and fasting isn't part of the normative Christian life in today's world. Uh, it's, it's Some people do it, but very few do. And the idea of praying and how to pray is very important. Now, is this, uh, to me, it seems this is what people are talking about when they go to camps and they talk about mountaintop experiences, yeah. speaking of that transcendent moment of feeling connected to the person well, of God. the salvation experience. Do you believe that in addition to accepting doctrinal truths, that one has to surrender to an invasion of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that in addition to truth, you have to be surrendered to an infilling of God? Uh, do you believe that if Christ is not in us, then intellectual affirmation of doctrine will not save us? 
If the answer is you've got to have that experience with Christ, you're a mystic. Uh, when anybody asks me, are you an evangelical, I say yes, and they say, what does that mean? It means I believe in the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed. I believe the Bible is an insoluble message from God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that the writers were kept from error. And thirdly, I believe that salvation comes by surrendering to a personal invasion of the Spirit of God, that one has to be surrendered to a presence and transformed from within. That's what mystical means. Now, in, in your life, at a totally practical level, how often do you have experiences where you actually feel that subjective experience of the objective truth of God's well, with Word? With fair regularity. I wish I could say every day when I go to prayer I, I feel His presence, but I don't. But it happens often enough. Okay. Um, there is um, a week will go by, two weeks will go by, and then and I'll have a prayer time and I will feel myself overwhelmed, uh, invaded, possessed by the Spirit of Christ. And I think that's so important for people to hear because they either feel like they're in or out with most things in yeah. the church. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, a lot of people try it once and nothing happens, so they kind of say, well, that didn't produce anything. You know, which is it, why in your book you really talk about the spiritual disciplines being yeah, a path to get there. Sure, sure. Take that consistency. You've been a controversial character, I would almost say a caricature for many people for decades now. Mm -hmm. So, number one, congratulations on your consistency. It must mean you believe it. Um, but why do you think you're seen as controversial? Um, well,. First of all, when did Christianity cease being controversial? Good question. Uh, because I think that's when it stopped being uh, Christian, number one. Uh, number two is, I would say this, that as long as you speak in the abstract, you never have controversy. If I stand up in the pulpit of your church and say, God has called us to relate to the needs of the poor and the oppressed, do you think there's anybody in that congregation that's going to say, oh no, that's wrong? That's not what God wants. God want, doesn't want us to give a darn about the poor and the oppressed. Do you, of course not. Uh, the, uh, the reality is that nobody differs on the basic uh, generalizations. Uh, should we save the environment? Yeah, we, we should save the environment. Uh, should we, do you want to see an end of the war? Of course. What Christian doesn't want to see an end of the war? The question is, how do you bring that about? And it's in the how that controversy exists. Uh, how, do you, how do we get our troops home from Iraq? How do we bring peace to the Middle East? How do we go about feeding the hungry? How do we do these things? Uh, is this the sole responsibility of the church? Or is it the responsibility of the church along with cooperative government programs? Uh, does the church cooperate with the government or does the church operate independently of the government? Namely, there are those who would say, whenever the government gives help to the poor, it's really playing Robin Hood. It's stealing money from rich people through taxation and giving it away to poor people. Uh, helping the poor is the prerogative of the church. So there's no question that the poor should be helped. The question is who should do it. And when you begin to say, here's my case for saying that it needs to be a cooperative venture between the government and the uh, church, uh, I differ with those who would say it should be exclusively the concern of the church. Um, 
when I say that the uh, that we need to uh, question the system and we have to regulate the system, there are those who say any regulation of the system is socialist. And I would differ, do you see? So it's in how we go about solving these problems that differences occur. And what we have to learn as Christians is that none of us have the whole answer. And we have to listen to each other. And we have to speak what we believe at any given time and not expect that we're going to be condemned to run out of town. The church has ministers who talk in broad generalities because they're afraid to say anything specific. Because the minute that they do, they know they're controversial. That's why I'm a teacher in a university rather than a pastor of a church. I think pastors have a very serious problem on their hands. Because when it comes to the implementation of the commitments of Christ uh, that we all agree on, left, right, Democrat, Republican, when it comes to implementing those values, I think that there are differences of opinion. And unfortunately, the Christian community doesn't allow for differences of opinion. Anybody that we don't agree with, we label. Uh, they're a narrow-minded fundamentalist, right-wing uh, neo-fascist, or he's a left-wing communist. We name-call instead of saying, let's listen to what these people are saying. Uh, I might be wrong. My opponent may be right. Uh, the, Christian, the Christian community does not know how to carry on dialogue without becoming acrimonious. Which you became an example of that just perhaps in your debates with your wife on homosexuality? Exactly. And we get along great. We love each other. We just don't agree on this. We And we go at it day after day after day. I hardly come down to breakfast without some, some uh, tract or newspaper article or, or, or book uh, put alongside of my plate. And say, be sure to read this, and let's talk about it at supper. <laughs> you know, and I do the same to her. I want you to read this, and let's talk about it at supper. Uh, but uh, can there be dialogue without hostility? Uh, let's agree to the following, that the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed, which have been doctrines that the Church has affirmed for uh, at least 1,700, maybe longer, 1,700 years and maybe even longer, that the Bible as the ultimate authority for everything that we think and believe, and that personal relationships with Christ are what make us into Christians. If we can affirm those three things, we can be brothers in Christ in spite of any differences. But when we try to implement the values of the kingdom of God as we see them in Scripture, we don't disagree on the goals. We do disagree on the ways those goals should be implemented. And once again, whenever any of my left-wing friends start accusing the religious right of being unchristian or this or that or the other thing, I get irate, because I don't know, uh, well, I'm good friends, for instance, with Ralph Reed of the Christian Coalition. This man is deeply committed to an end of racism, deeply committed to an end of poverty, deeply committed to ending the war in Iraq, deeply committed to saving the environment. He just doesn't see the role of government in all of this the same way I see it. He doesn't see uh, the role of the church in the same way that I see it fine. Uh, I need to listen to him. He needs to listen to me. And in the end, we may discover truth in each other's points of view. When you deal with different generations, um, how, does, how does the style or approach or your general feelings of hope uh, differ when you're dealing with someone who's 20 years old versus 
in their 40s and, you know, has a stable job and a stable family and all of that? Well, there's, there's a, there are a lot of big differences. Uh, first of all, the younger people think differently than older people. I wrote a book called Letters to a Young Evangelical, and I've gotten a lot of criticism on that book, not because of the positions that I take, but in every time I present the, the, my position, I articulate the opposite opinion in, very, in the best possible way. And people say, you make those on the other side seem reasonable. Well, the bad news, they are reasonable. They're different. They may be wrong. But to say they're unreasonable or stupid, and that's what the church tends to do. Anybody that disagrees, we immediately define as stupid. How could they be so idiotic as to not see what we see? People have good arguments for where they stand. So when dealing with an issue like homosexuality, I will articulate my reason for holding a conservative position. But I will simultaneously say, this is what my wife and others in her point of view are saying on this. Here's why I believe what I believe. I can see the logic of their arguments. I disagree with them. And these are the reasons why I disagree. But to present your opponent in the best possible light is where uh, young people want to go. They don't want to just be told the other people are wrong. They want to know the best on both sides of the argument so that they can make their own decision. Uh, several of the uh, of the, those who wrote about the book, for instance, the New York Times said, we really love this book because uh, Tony Campolo presents his view but does a fair job on opposing points of view and leaves it up to the reader to make a decision. That's exactly where most evangelicals who are older don't want to be. They don't want to leave it up to the individual to make a decision. They want truth to come down from on high, and they are the ones who speak from on high. Well, I'll just ask you one final question. Since you have been this controversial character trying to articulate specifics versus speaking in uh, vague evangelical generalities, what is the what what do you wish people understood about you as an individual not your beliefs and your views but you as a man i want them to understand that in my everyday life i try to be faithful to the bible and uh, when martin luther king was uh, when martin luther not martin luther king when martin luther was under attack at the council of reforms he simply said unless i am persuaded either by scripture or by conscience I cannot and I will not recant. That's where I am. I want to be a man of conscience, and I want to be a man of the Bible. And if you can show me in the Bible where I'm wrong, I will be the first to capitulate. Awesome. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate your time a lot, and I'm looking okay. forward to seeing you next week. Okay, take care now. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us again this week for the Pirate Monk Podcast. If you've got letters or responses, questions or thoughts, send it to us at samsonpodcast at gmail.com. samsonpodcast at gmail.com. And we will be talking to you soon. All of my people to renew your trouble life.
the road. 